Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Chris Stroud and Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant and health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. You can learn more at www.mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us already is our own inimitable Chris Stroud, who's going to answer questions, including the ones you didn't know you had about birth options and birth plans. And apparently it's a much bigger thing than when our kids were being born. Our birth plan was take my wife to the hospital safely, let the team there do the rest, and of course, do this while I was doing the hee-hee-hoos that I was taught in prenatal classes. Yeah, it's something that I think has become more and more popular. It's definitely become a lot of conversations that I've had in my practice with people who are planning to become pregnant and give birth. And now there's a whole range of options that I just wasn't aware of, you know, even when I started having kids 10 years ago. You know, it seems there are about four main birthing options we're going to discuss, but Chris will probably invent some more, you know, a hospital, a freestanding birth center, which we're sitting in right now recording, home births, and something that Andrew just introduced me to this week that I'd never heard before called free birth. But to spice up our show, we'd like to start with a fifth option not on the list and hear commentary from both Chris and Andrew. Bring it on, guys. This is going to be good. Yeah, we have a super fan couple of Dr. Doctor. They are a Dr. Doctor couple, Dr. Paul Day, family practice, Dr. Amber Day, pediatrics. And they are in Cincinnati, and they were some of the earliest medical student members of the Catholic Medical Association. And with their permission and their presence, without violating the HIPAA Act, we bring their recent story for edification and laughter. Last weekend, I had the privilege of spending a weekend with Paul, and he shared a story, both hilarious and terrifying that I thought our listeners would want to hear. Paul, it's Thanksgiving morning 2021. What's happening? Right, yes. Uh, thanks so much for having us, guys. We're really excited to, to share a fun story. So, yeah, Thanksgiving morning, and uh, my in-laws, Amber's parents, are in town, and we're heading off to Mass for Thanksgiving uh, at 10 a.m. And at this point, we're two days past our due date, so about 40 weeks and two days. So we know, okay, it could be, could be any time, any minute now. And I remember this distinct moment during Mass where my wife Amber just kind of reaches forward and grips onto the pew in front of her kind of strong, kind of tightly. And I look at her and I said, oh, are you having a contraction? Now, she didn't want to, you know, uh, have anyone get attention to her. So she said, just tell my mom I have some gas. And I said, Amber, you shouldn't lie during Mass. <laughs> Let me begin by saying that earlier that morning, I woke up. I had kind of been hoping, based on my history with my other kids, of um, going into labor that morning. And um, and it hadn't happened when I woke up. So I thought, hmm. And I had been talking to a friend the day before um, who had said, eh, it's your third baby, just do some jumping jacks and then the baby will come out. <laughs> so I had the brilliant idea to run up and down our driveway a few times um, that morning, which is probably what... And Our driveway is like, an eighth of a mile long is a huge hill, so it's <laughs> not an ordinary run. That's exercise. <laughs> so, so I did that, and still nothing. So I was like, oh, man. And then a couple hours later, I started to get some of those like little painful twinges, but I was like, oh, was this you know, the Mexican or was this that I ate last night or was this an actual contraction? But I thought, yeah, you know, I've walked a mile before with early contractions, so I can go to mass. It'd be awesome to receive the Eucharist before I go into labor. So away we went. Um, That's right. And then I, I remember as mass was ending, I was pretty convinced that labor was beginning. And so Amber and I looked at each other and we said, yeah, we're not staying for coffee and donuts after this. We better go. <laughs> So in the car, we were kind of timing contractions, and they were about seven minutes apart. So we this thought, is on the way okay. home. Yeah, on the way, on the way home um, from Mass. And so, okay, we, we have a little bit of time. We should probably change and, um, and get ready to head to the hospital. But then, and, and fortunately, her parents were in town, like we mentioned. So we have two older children that they were going to stay with. And Amber's kind of getting changed upstairs, and I'm 
kind of looking back, I'm somewhat lackadaisically packing up the car and checking the <laughs> list. And I remember this moment of even like, oh, Amber loves apples. I'm going to grab a few apples and just take them. She'll be so glad to have them. You know, all this time that I realize now maybe wasn't spent the most prudently. <laughs> and and as we were packing up, I, I came back upstairs and all of a sudden, Amber was kind of lying on the ground, panting through a contraction. And I said, oh my, things have escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> yep. So, um, so I had changed at that point and I always, um, I have labored on all fours. It's just more comfortable for me. And so, and I usually pray Hail Marys during contractions. And so the Hail Mary started to get a little bit, a little bit strong, stronger and a little bit more pained. Um, so Paul said that's Paul, how he times your contractions. Yes, that is yeah. how that's how we yeah. time the contractions. And it's funny with the cadence of the Hail Marys as they become kind of yeah, louder and shouted out, okay, I know that's a contraction. <laughs> and and it, it had gone from every seven minutes to about every minute and a half, pretty much Yikes. just like a just like a uh, switch had flipped. So I said, Okay, we're leaving right now. And in between contractions, I kind of picked her up and helped carry her down the stairs. We knew that things were happening quickly, so we just kind of yelled goodbye to my in-laws and the kids without giving hugs. I wasn't really sure why Paul was just ushering me out of the house, um, and I like had I had just had to be like, "Bye, Patrick and Greta, love you." <laughs> <laughs> and as, the- as we were trying to get in the car, Amber said, "I I cannot sit up front; it's too uncomfortable. Like, just let me be in the back, and that way I can kind of lay down or be on all fours and just kind of labor on the way." Now. Um, you know, in the uh, immensity of our wonderful planning, our hospital that we deliver at where I work is about 30 minutes away. And so as we're getting in the car, I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be kind of close. So (laughs) I remember as we came to uh, the first light, I just looked and ran right through it and uh, started going about 85 miles an hour on the interstate uh, (laughs) because the Hail Marys at this point were about every minute apart uh, with the contractions, with the way she was praying them out loud. And I remember thinking, gosh, I can't see how fast he's going, but it seems like Paul's driving pretty fast. (laughs) (laughs) So so then... um, I, the the hail marys were were a lot. There was a lot of shouting. There was um the the baby's car seat was in the back seat, and so I just remember grabbing onto it and like just clenching my fist using that <laughs> instead of because I didn't have anyone's hand to hold. So then I heard. I remember hearing Paul say, "Oh, I wish I had some clamps." I remember thinking, what oh, no. on earth is he talking about? <laughs> And then I just got that sudden urge to push that I needed to push. And I knew that I shouldn't, but I just knew that I needed to. And so I said, Paul, I'm having the baby. And I said, I know you're having the baby. That's why I'm going 90 miles an hour. (laughs) No, I'm having the baby. And then the head's out. What should I do? And I said, push the rest out. (laughs) So so I did. And at this point, I haven't even had time to pull off the interstate. I mean, she said, what should I do? I said, push the rest out. I was trying to get to the next exit. No time for that. So at this point, I'm just literally pulling over to the corner of I-71 so that we can just pull over and I can look back and assess the situation. So, so I just this, and this is kind of surreal, but I turned around and I had a pair of like stretchy pants on. And so I just like scooped her out of them and I had a big sweater on. So I put her on my chest and I, she, she was a little bit blue and wasn't crying. So I knew that, that we needed to fix that. So um, I was a little nervous because I thought, you know, I've done this before. I've resuscitated babies, but I don't have my tools. I don't have a bulb suction. But I looked down and I saw that I could see the cord around the back of her neck. I don't know if it was completely wrapped, but I just knew that I had to get that out of there. So I reduced it really quick. I just pulled it around front and then started rubbing her back, digging my nails in, saying, cry, baby, cry, baby, cry. <laughs> and we didn't know whether she was a boy or a girl. So I was like what are you? You're a girl. <laughs> cry, Josie, cry, Josie, cry. <laughs> oh, man. And then, and then with a little bit of stim, then she, she, uh, we both heard that first cry and, and I just breathed a huge sigh of relief and, 
and then just loved on her and and kept her warm and um and then you pulled yeah, over at, and- at this point i'm looking back realizing that all the excitement has pretty much occurred. So for our audience at this point, I kind of feel like a third year medical student at a delivery <laughs> where you're kind of in the back hoping to get in on the action and help get you know experience with the delivery. And you're kind of like, well, all right, all, all that's done. So I'm just gonna... So at this point, my, my job was to uh, make sure Amber was okay. And uh, we figured driving at this point wouldn't be a great idea. So we did call an ambulance and they said, what's your emergency? As I called 911 and I said, well, we had a baby on the side of the road. And they said, do you need medical advice? And we said, no, we just need the tools. If you could bring them for us, that would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the ambulance came and they were wonderful. They helped, uh, helped get us in the, in the back of the bus there. And they, uh, they looked at me and said, sir, now you can go up and ride in the front and we'll take care of everything. And I said, well, I, uh, we've had some training in this. Would you mind if, <laughs> if I do the rest? So again, kind of like a third or fourth year medical student, I'm delivering the placenta instead of delivering the baby. <laughs> so, so they allow me to do the rest yeah. there. I did really want to deliver the placenta in the car because I was starting to get more contractions at that point. And I think that that's when I got cranky and I was screaming, get this thing out of me. <laughs> but Paul said, no, we have to wait until the ambulance, which I think saved the car. It did save the car. <laughs> yeah. It did save the car. That's right. That's the messy part. So yes. uh, we just had so much fun with it at that point. I mean, I think it happened so fast. Uh, there wasn't time to panic. And praise God for some of the training, especially that Amber had. Um it made me like immensely proud of her in so many ways. And, at, you know, I felt like I was just, you know, the cab driver and the support team most of the time. <laughs> and, yep. uh, and she even uh, had the, the blessing of being able to, on the, uh, on the delivery note, she's both the mother and the delivering physician. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she also assigned the baby's APGARs. <laughs> I was wondering that. Yes. Very nice. And what were they, by the way? <laughs> we, we decided, we debated a little. We decided yeah. an eight and a nine were appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> now, I've got to ask you, Paul, because I had a similar, not quite as exciting car ride with my wife and the first birth of our first child. Uh, and all I could think about in the car was, what are we going to tell people if this baby comes out? So I want to know what you were thinking, honestly, when you're driving along there looking for an exit. <laughs> well, I'm I'm having this mix of, frankly, just like panic and prayer. <laughs> and a little bit in the back of, that mind of, of, of my mind of that pride of like, what will people think if exactly. two doctors couldn't even make it to the hospital? Like <laughs> right. we're supposed to know what, what we're doing and what we're looking for. So, and and in the end, we decided, you know what, this is just going to be a fun story to tell. Thank goodness, mom and baby are okay. So afterward, we were just kind of delighted to share the story. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> it, it was also a much cheaper hospital bill. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. I was going to say at that point, it's like, well, everything's done. Do we go in? What do we do? But you, you know, right. it's a beautiful yeah. it's a beautiful example, though. Most of the time, we just need to get out of the way, and things tend to work really, really well. Um, yeah. Even even yeah. on the side of the interstate, right? That's right. Yeah, it's it's funny because um, I that morning I put on I have a pair of Joan of Arc socks that on the bottom say I am not afraid I was born to do this, uh. and um, and they were maybe a little bit too appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then but then the um, the OB kind of commented about just like that your body knows exactly what to do. And, and I felt like it was really a beautiful testament to that, like um, the, the beauty of the feminine body, just to kind of know, know how to deliver and take care of a baby. Amen to that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's probably a lesson for life, right? So many things in life would go better if we just got out of the way and let them, let them go the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's a great there's a great gift that my in-laws gave me. Um, I enjoy an occasional glass of bourbon and they uh, they got me a, a rocks or bourbon glass and etched in on it says mile marker 15, which is the site of Josie's birth. So we have a nice uh, uh, memento now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure your drive past there is not going to be quite the same again. You know, That's you're, right. you're passing that mile marker. Oh, this is it. That's yeah. right. Part part of my morning commute, so I pass it every day. <laughs> what practical real-world advice do you have for our listeners based on your experience? Mm. 
Wow. Um, you know, prayer is powerful and we have our plans, but sometimes the Lord laughs at those. So I think it's good to work with, you know, work with your doctor or your midwife and and talk about what's what makes the most sense for your pregnancy and and plan for what you think you need and your family needs. But recognizing whether you have a uh, whether you're laid back or you have a pretty detailed birth plan that the the Lord is in the driver's seat. And sometimes um, all you can do is drive as fast as you can, pull over when it's, <laughs> pull over when it's appropriate uh, and, and use the gifts he's given you to do your best. So, wow. Yeah. Amen to that. I, I think I would also say on a, from a um, sort of logistical, practical standpoint, in in your hospital bag um, that you have ready, also maybe pack a few towels. <laughs> um, and and also uh, getting the birth certificate when she wasn't born in the hospital was a bear. It took a lot of phone calls, a lot of tracking down physicians. So. Um, Make sure that you ask the hospital or figure out a birth packet before you leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good well, point. Thank you so much for sharing that beautiful story of, uh, of birth and of life and of overcoming adversity with us and with our listeners. Wonderful. Oh, thanks. Before we break this first segment, we get to pose our medical trivia question of the day, and you get to sit in and listen early. The category, Ancient Rome and Modern Birth. True or false? The term cesarean section comes from Julius Caesar, who was delivered through an incision in his mother's lower abdomen and uterus. Gotta wait till the end of the show, but we'll be right back with more expertise from Chris Stroud on birth options here on Dr. Doctor. Welcome back with our interview of our own Chris Stroud today on birth options. Chris, what do you think about that story? It's a great story, isn't it? I mean, uh, just the beauty and the joy that they share in telling it. You know, one man's chaos is another man's, I guess, re relaxing story. A lot of us would be it would be uh, crippled with, uh, you know, anxiety if we were participating in that story. But theirs is a beautiful one. But I think it, it does a great job of highlighting that the key thing to think about in birth options is flexibility. Because, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, listeners, we're not in charge. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, Chris, one of the things I'm kind of wondering is how often would you say birth goes exactly as you had hoped and planned? Well, you, you know, it depends on the definition of exactly, doesn't it? But, um, you know, for the most part, birth goes in a predictable way. But I always say it's just like planning a Midwestern outdoor wedding in June. Mm, uh, it yes. might be perfect, but it might rain like there's no tomorrow. You're still going to get married, but you're going to go to plan B inside. It's still going to be a blast. You're still going to emerge married on the other side, but you had to be flexible. And birth is the same way. Yeah, you know, you've got to be flexible with this physiologic process. You know, we're recording live today from Holy Family Birth Center in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I didn't know that was even a thing until a few years ago, thanks to Chris. And let me say, Chris, the vibe in your birth center is entirely different from the place where I do skin cancer surgery. We have a pretty nice place, but oh my gosh, you have such a rich environment. Look at all these colorful pictures, frames, all these moms and their babies. It's just great. But I walk down the hall and there are these really deep tubs going on in there. I don't know if you, you start your day with a long soak in one of those, Chris. What's the deal? Yeah, so a lot of uh, the motivation to deliver or to to uh, to labor even in an out-of-hospital setting uh, is water. Uh, water is a huge component for those interested in a natural birth. So in our birth center, about 65% of the babies are born in water, in the tub. Uh, of the other 30, 35%, most of them are born in the shower. So for moms that are having natural birth, meaning unmedicated, no epidural, water has magical laboring properties for them uh, that can really make it go well. So the water is very popular. That's why you saw those big and, tubs. And we're going to get into that more with the options. But why should the men who are listening, all two or three of you who are left, why <laughs> should this show matter to our male listeners? Well, because it matters to the it matters to the woman that's the most important person in your life. Uh, that, that's why you should pay attention, because you know um, it's it's easy for us as men, I think, sometimes to get very mechanistic or procedural about birth. 
but it's not a gallbladder removal. You know, it's not removing a skin cancer in your specialty. It's much, much more than that. And so uh, just understanding the woman's preferences and how she wants this birth to go, because built into those preferences are her fears about how this birth might go. And so understanding the preferences is another way to understand what her fears are. And fear is the great enemy of all things birth. And so, Chris, <clears throat> we like to point out the obvious here. So staying true to form, fill in the blank. What is the final goal of any birth? Yeah, you know, it's a common question, and the easy answer is a healthy mom and baby. But, but I want to caution you, listeners, whenever you find yourself wanting to say that to someone, because when, when you answer that question and say, well, the goal is a healthy baby and mom, Often what healthcare workers, especially in a hospital setting, are doing is they're minimizing your other concerns because they're saying, look, I don't care that you had a horrible experience that you've got PTSD from. You're healthy and your baby's healthy. So what are you so upset about? And that's not what we mean, obviously, when we say that. But it can certainly come off to the patient and her family that way. But of course, we want a healthy mom and baby. In addition to that, we want the mom to deliver in an empowered way that's consistent with she and her husband's values because this is an experience they're never ever going to forget just like paul and his wife they're going to be telling their story <laughs> forever whatever that story is so we want their story to be consistent with their values and, and dreams well and i think chris you've kind of hit the nail on the head with even though you come home healthy mom and baby a lot of people in healthcare think well gee whiz you should be grateful Yet we're seeing this movement, or at least I feel like I'm seeing a growth in these other birthing options, birth centers and whatnot, kind of going through the different birth options, hospital birth. I kind of think of it as the most traditional in recent history in America. Is that fair? Well, it's not as recent as we might think. You know, if you think about just maybe two generations ago, three generations ago, hospital birth for healthy women was not really the norm. I can remember early on in my career talking to my elderly grandmother and one of her kids was born at home, and the other was born at a, at, a, at a hospital. And I said, why wasn't the first one born at the hospital? And she said in this beautiful, candid way, well, I wasn't sick. I was fine. Oh, wow. Uh, but until about 70 years ago, 80 years ago, the hospital is where you went if you had a problem to have your baby. Otherwise, you had it at home. That was about the only option. So it's become the norm, but it's a, it's a pretty recent phenomenon that it is the norm. Well, what are some of the pros and cons of the hospital birth that people may be familiar with? Yeah, so even before we begin much of a talk about the details of the options, it's very important, I think, to try to differentiate in the discussion well versus not well. So when we're talking about birth options, do I want to deliver in the shower? Do I want to be at home or in a birth center or the hospital? We've got to remember to differentiate well moms, healthy babies, for moms who may have a problem. So if you have gestational diabetes or high blood pressure or preeclampsia or twins or your baby's not coming head first but some other position, that's a different discussion than if you are just as healthy as you can be, um, like the days uh, and the earlier part of the show, that's different. You've got unlimited options if you're in that group. But if you're not well or your baby's not well, that's not the time to be talking about a lot of the options uh, that we're going to discuss. So what proportion of women need to be considering seriously hospital as their option? It's actually statistically a very small number of births. Or another way to say that is the vast majority majority of women, should they choose to, could have out-of-hospital birth experiences. Now, most of them do not, mostly out of lack of options, lack of knowledge. But there is a small percentage of women who absolutely must deliver mm -hmm. in a medical setting, like some of those examples that I gave. So what are some of the questions a woman and her husband should be asking when they are coming up with a birth option? What should they ask their OB doctor? Yeah, so what, what do you want to happen, so to speak? What's important to you? What kind of baggage do you bring to this, you might say, psychologically? 
Um, you know, if you want unicorns uh, and daffodils in your room, and, and the moment the baby emerges from you, you want doves to be released, um, it's not likely to happen. <laughs> unicorns are hard to find. But getting out there that you've got these desires to your OB provider is critical because they're not going to meet your goals if they don't know what your goals are. You're not going to know if you met your goals if you don't write them down and articulate them. But understanding the why behind the what uh, is critical. I like to say, too, when I see a patient with a birth plan, I don't really care so much about what's in the plan as much as I care that the couple took the time to write it. Uh, Because Ah. that means they've sat down and said, do we want our son circumcised? Do we care about the antibiotic ointment in the eyes afterwards? Do we care about the hepatitis B vaccination? Do we care who's at our birth and who's not at our birth? That takes time. But the real value in that planning is the process more than the product. So when I see a couple show up in my office with a birth plan, I already know they're serious about what they want. It says to me they're that kind of couple, which, by the way, is my favorite kind of couple. (laughs) Uh, But it tells me that's one of those people that have invested that energy. Chris, are you a minority in welcoming the in-depth birth planning among OBs? I I hope not. Uh, I I don't know. My knee-jerk reaction is yes, but I actually don't think that's true. I think it's a bit of a stereotype, but it's easy for providers to get a little cynical because they've all had those experiences, especially in the birth center, excuse me, especially in the hospital, where the woman comes in with a detailed plan and she wanted you know, a certain feel and a certain this, and plans have to get changed, especially in the hospital. But that's because if you're in a hospital, you're likely to need to be there, and that requires some flexibility. But, you know, you'll hear cynical people say, don't plan your birth. You'll just be disappointed. And to that, I like to say, did you take the same approach to your wedding? <laughs> right? So you, you plan for perfection, but you understand that it requires flexibility. But I think increasingly uh, birth providers are understanding that I've got to take care of the whole patient. And that includes her husband and her family. And I need to know what's important to them, what their fears are, what their goals are, what kind of psychological trauma maybe they bring from other experiences. If I don't know those things, I'm not going to care for them nearly as well. So, Chris, we're in this hybrid reality known as a freestanding birth center. There's no OR down the hall that I've been able to find yet. So what woman is most likely to thrive in this environment? Yeah, that's a great question. About 1% to 2% of births in America happen at uh, freestanding birth centers. And so it's a natural birth by definition, meaning uh, there's no epidural. Labor can't be induced. It has to begin naturally. Ah. It has to progress at the appropriate pace. And there's limits on state to state uh, who's allowed to deliver at a freestanding birth center. It's different in Michigan than it is in Ohio. So you need to know your state's regulations. But in general, it's a woman who is interested in what we call physiologic birth, birth that isn't changed by medication. It's not augmented by Pitocin. It begins naturally and proceeds and concludes naturally. So do you have any medications available here should it be necessary? Do you have any surgical trays here in case something happens rapidly? Sure. So uh, there are non-epidural pain management options at most freestanding birth centers. Things like nitrous oxide, really popular in Europe for OB uh, discomfort, increasingly popular in America for that, very popular in American dentistry. Yes. Right? Many of our listeners right. know that. We certainly have IV pain medications that can be given uh, or local anesthetics to numb up you know, the skin of the vagina if a repair is needed or something like that. So those are all uh, options. Interestingly, emergencies rarely occur in birth center births, in the middle of labor. Because? Because you have to be so normal to get there. Okay. Mm. Right? If you don't weigh 400 pounds and you don't have an epidural and you don't have chronic high blood pressure and diabetes and your labor's not being induced with Pitocin, you're not very likely to have a problem, Ah. at least not an acute emergency. Labor either progresses uh, uneventfully or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you go to the hospital from the birth center. So there's time. 
Exactly. Yeah. We're two minutes and 13 seconds from the hospital. <laughs> but even birth centers that are not that close to the hospital, emergencies in labor generally just not, do not occur without warning. That's our experience at our birth center. But it's also been borne out in published uh, trials of hundreds of thousands of birth center births. Now, Chris, there's another option that a lot of people talk about is this idea of home birth. How is that different than the experience at the birth center? Yeah, good question. Uh, about another 1%, 1.5% of babies in America are born in home. It's a little tricky to get your arms around the data there because the data is not always complete. And they don't always differentiate intentional home birth versus unintentional home birth. Or car birth. Or car birth. <laughs> so, so that, you know, somewhere in some book, the days will show up as an out-of-hospital birth, but it wasn't intentional. Um, so if there had been a poor out outcome, praise God there wasn't, from the day's birth. But that would have artificially, you know, sort of affected the data. Sure. But about one to one and a half percent of babies are born intentionally uh, at home. I like to say a home birth is a birth center birth. A birth center is just a home birth at somebody else's home. Okay. Um, but in the hands of properly trained and well-trained professionals, particularly if we look at the Canadian experience and their data, home birth can be very, very safe. For the same people that have birth centers and have birth center births with some stipulations and when i say the canadian system their home birth professionals are plugged into their health care system sadly in america home birth professionals often are ostracized from the health care system that's not true in our community where we practice but it's true in a lot of communities but to summarize under the right circumstances with properly trained professionals home birth can be a great option for the same people that birth center birth can be a great option for and this is a great place to take our break but we'll be back with more on birthing options on dr doctor after the break and we are back with Dr. Doctor today, talking to our very own Dr. Chris Stroud about birthing options, namely location. And Chris, there is another type of birth option I thought was a Leonard Skinner song, but it's actually free birth, no guitar solo. It is just, uh, it is solo though, but just fewer guitars than most of them. Tell us, what, what is free birth? Yeah, first of all, most of our listeners probably don't even know who Leonard Skinner is, but uh, we're dating ourselves by, by saying that. Yeah, that's but right. Andrew's a youngster. He's the one that pulled it out. I love it. Well done. <laughs> there, there, there is a segment of the population that has a lot of interest in what's called unassisted or, uh, or free birth. I, you know, I have to emphasize we're talking about a very small percentage of people who feel very strongly about letting birth occur extremely naturally and physiologically with no assistance from any healthcare professionals. Uh, of course, I have biases as a healthcare uh, professional that I can't escape, and I wouldn't recommend that. Sometimes the only thing that we offer uh, in birth is just some little, little help at the end, particularly after the baby comes out, before I hand them to you, Andrew, the family physician, uh, to take care of. And sometimes that can be really life-changing. But I wouldn't recommend uh, free birth or unassisted birth. But there is information uh, out there that, uh, that you, can, you can find if you look for it. Because what, really what you kind of keep coming back to it sounds like is when things are normal, they proceed normally, yeah. and everybody wins. Everybody's happy. But the question is, is how much risk might be associated with your your average birth, yeah. and are we prepared to deal with that risk when it comes? So, you know, it's a great point. What a well-trained obstetrician, and, and probably even more relevant, a well-trained certified nurse midwife, what they're excellent at is recognizing when things are not normal. You know, as an obstetrician, I'm really good when things really hit the fan. Uh, I'm not necessarily at my best when things are completely normal. Uh, my wife, who is a certified nurse midwife, is just the opposite. She is excellent at saying, this is normal, it's fine, no, no harm, no foul, or this is no longer normal, we need to pivot to a setting where there are people who specialize in abnormal. Uh, so to be without a professional is to skip that opportunity for help. So how does somebody make a decision between wanting to be delivered by an OB 
like you or nurse midwife like your wife? Yeah, that's a good question. And now I would like to say you should never have to pick because if you put us together as an integrated team, we're better synergistically than either of us individually. I like to joke with our patients and say, you know, my wife could sit on the foot of your bed for four or five hours and never move, whereas I struggle to stand still for four or five minutes. (laughs) Uh, But I can do a C-section in maybe under seven minutes if you need me. So you stick us together on call and you've got a pretty powerful team. Um, but you want a provider that uh, that will listen to you and that hears you and that emphasizes the things that you think are important. Now, you need to figure out what those things are before you can choose a provider. In most practices, you would either select uh, a certified nurse midwife or an obstetrician. Right. But in a lot of practices, like ours, they're the two professionals working together as an integrated team. Frankly, that's what I would look for. That's my bias, but I think that's the best team out there. If you are are led to use a certified nurse midwife and they're not on an integrated team with a physician, I think the first question you might ask the midwife is, what's your relationship with physicians? How does it work if I need that level of care? And so are midwives doing a lot of deliveries in hospitals these days? Sure, it's very, very common, depending on where you are in the country, for certified nurse midwives or CNMs uh, to attend an entire labor, birth, and postpartum process in a hospital. Not uncommon at all. Okay, thinking from the dad's perspective, what kind of questions should dads be asking before their wives give birth? Yeah, you know, we're dads, we're wired to kill the bear, right? Right. We're all about protecting the person that we love. Whether it's driving on the interstate like Paul, uh, (laughs) or you're standing in a hospital room paralyzed with fear. Our job is to be the protector. So the thing we want to know is, you know, your wife comes home and says, I want to have the baby this way or that way or in this location or that location. You want to know, is that safe? And and that, say that out loud because that's what we're supposed to ask. And so you want to look to safety. Certainly hospital birth is safe. You know, hospitals are, are very good at getting you a safe birth. Not always the greatest at getting you maybe the birth experience that you mm-hmm. want, but it's going to be safe. Freestanding accredited birth centers, also very, very safe. There's a couple of landmark studies, one in the New England Journal of Medicine that looked at almost 10,000 births uh, and 84 freestanding birth centers and found the safety for case-matched controls was the same in a hospital as it was in a birth center for the same kinds of patients, we should point out, for healthy, low-risk patients. So out-of-hospital birth in the right setting, very, very safe. Hospital birth, very, very safe. That's our job as husbands. Let's be safe. Chris, one of the things you had talked about is even 70 years ago, hospital births very uncommon. You talked about the Canadian system. How does the experience of having birth in America differ from other countries, whether it be mm. home births in America compared to you know India or Africa versus what are hospital births like in Europe, that type of thing? Yeah, that's a fun question. Um, yeah, listeners, uh, check out an author, Cynthia Gabriel, and she's written several books. She's an anthropologist and a birth doula, and she studied birth all over the world. And a lot of how birth is different internationally has to do with our perception of pain. Mm. And, it's, and, there, and there's actually a lot of Catholic theology there, this idea that pain has a purpose, suffering has a, a purpose. Yes. The pain and the discomforts of labor, even though none of the three of us have ever experienced it, um, it's not the same as the pain of shutting your hand in the car door. <laughs> That's trauma pain. Birth pain should not be traumatic. It's a different kind of pain. So understanding that leads to managing it differently. Different cultures around the world have a different perception of labor discomfort than traumatic discomfort. And that usually translates into labor being different. But the idea that some labor is normal, some labor is not, that's a little more well-received in Europe uh, than it is in America, although it's getting much, much uh, better, I would say, uh, in America. Very good. So, Chris, it seems like sometimes women get super attached to their own birth plan. What is the best way for them to not be too attached to it? You like patients who come to you with a plan. How do you modulate them into flexibility that you recommended earlier? Well, I think, you know, knowledge is power um, and fear is the enemy. Sometimes the overly uh, detailed a uh, hyper-specific birth plan really is an expression of fear. Uh, uh, I, I don't want you to do these things to me. 
And if you're with a provider that you fear is going to do things to you, you need to run, not walk to the nearest exit uh, and find a better provider that you have more trust with. Um, because a lot of the birth plan, when they're very detailed, that's really what's happening is the patient is almost paranoid that the provider or provider group is going to do something against their wishes. So a lot of it has to do with just making them understand we're your advocate. We're not here to do things to you. We're here to advocate for you. Um, and informed consent requires just that, information and consent. So nothing is going to be done to you that you don't like. Um, I think I find when that conversation happens, a lot of the problems with maybe overly specific plans tend to go away. But if it's very, very important to you that your mother-in-law not be at your birth, which sometimes is a great idea, by the way, um, <laughs> I, I would get that Sounds on like your birth. Stories plan. there. <laughs> we don't have time for that, but um, but that's an important thing. Who's at your birth plan? That's a big deal. Um, do you want music at your birth plan? That's a big deal. Get that on there. Um, but some of the things you have to understand have to be flexible. Chris, is there a template I can find online with things I should put in my birth plan? You know, there's no dearth of templates. There's a plethora. If you just Google birth plan, you'll see all kinds. Blank ones, fill in the blank, check boxes. I don't think it really matters. I think what matters is just get started. Uh, That author that I mentioned, Cynthia Gabriel, has a great book called Hospital Natural Birth. Um, And it it spends a lot of time on the process of birth planning. Whether you want to have a natural birth or an epidural birth, it doesn't matter. Um, But just the process of going about it, she does a great job in that book. But just get started. That's what matters. Chris, would would you say it's more important making a decision about where you want to have your baby or who the provider is you're working with? That's a good question. You know, one is going to lead to the other. If you want a out-of-hospital birth, it's not going to be an obstetrician. We don't generally attend births out of hospital. Uh, if you want an in-hospital birth, you probably have more options. So I, I think one is going to lead you to the path uh, of the other. It depends on what's important to you. And unfortunately, I know talking to some of my friends, they've lived in a place, you know, they might be on kid number eight, or many people like to have a lot of kids. Um, They've tried the different groups available to them in their location, and all of them have struck out in the expectations Mm -hmm. of the patient. You know, I feel really bad for them. Is it safe to try and get a provider out of town to travel, or is that unwise? It's really tricky. I'll bet the days would have an answer to that, really. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it's humbling. We have patients drive, really, what you might argue, unsafe distances to see us, which is, on the one hand, flattering. On the other hand, disturbing, because it's reasons that you've mentioned. So sometimes you've got to settle for a provider that you think that you can work with. Um, You know, when I see patients via telemedicine that are unhappy with their family physician, the first thing I think of is, I wish you could see Andrew Mullally, but (laughs) unfortunately everybody can't, right? Um, So sometimes they've got to find a provider that they can build some trust with, dialogue with, um, and learn to be okay with. But that takes work. And, you know, at the end of pregnancy is not the time to be doing that work. Mm. Those are conversations that really ought to be had preferably before pregnancy, but especially uh, in early pregnancy. But better can be the enemy of good, as we know. And so you may have to, you may have to compromise there. What would you say to, um, you know, the typical woman who's going to give birth in a hospital? And I know you want to make the point that uh, you can have a, a great birth experience in a hospital. What do you say in those groups where they have dedicated laborists that they might have a different doctor or even midwife than the one that they've been seeing regularly. Yeah, there is this movement that's almost the commoditization of birth. Yes. It's a gallbladder, it's an appendectomy, it's a birth. Um, And that's done for uh, financial reasons, for lifestyle reasons. It really, I think, is bad bad for medicine overall. Um, It can be helpful in an emergency, but I think I would include that uh, to Andrew's previous question about researching providers. Do you use a laborist group? If so, explain to me why and how will that affect my labor? If I don't like that, I'm going to go somewhere else. But ultimately, you, the patients, you're, you're making these decisions with your financial vote. So if you support a model that you don't like, that you think is wrong, you're supporting that model. Vote with your feet and don't go to that place if they do a model that you don't agree with. What do you wish that every listener 
who is going to have a baby but hasn't yet <laughs> would know before that happens, before they go to have their baby. You're paying the bill. You're in charge, right? Uh, you're not a victim. At least you shouldn't be. You're paying the bill. Imagine going to the most expensive restaurant in your community, and you're excited about this meal, and you sit down, and the waiter says, well, I've given some thought to it. I'm an expert, and I've decided tonight you're having the roast chicken. <laughs> um, most people would respond with, I'm paying the bill. I'll have the filet. Thank you very much. Yet, in a, particularly in a hospital setting, we give up all of our autonomy, all of our choices, forgetting that we're paying the bill, and it's a gigantic bill. So expect to be treated with dignity and with respect, and expect to have your choices matter because, after all, you're paying the bill. Chris, another thing I know we're, as we're approaching the end of our interview, a question that occurred to me is, does this matter or does your choice change if it's your first birth or a multiple birth? You know, some of the some of the details or the finer nuances might change a little. You know, what changes is people get smarter as we go. You you only get to buy your first used car once, yeah. uh, and the next time you're a lot better consumer, and you generally make better decisions the second and third and and subsequent times. What I would like to see happen as a provider is that you not have to mess up on the first car, uh, sure. and that you get a better experience the first time. But what I see with more experienced couples is they ask better questions, they make better decisions, because there is just no substitute for experience. And Chris, you've been mentioning a lot of great resources. Are there any other ones that you would like uh, couples to know about before giving birth? Yeah, I, I mentioned Cynthia Gabriel's book. That's a great read, Hospital Natural Birth. Um, a good friend of mine owns a company called Birth Matters, and it's Birth Matters uh, online. You can find it. Um, but this idea that education is and knowledge is the greatest tool to eliminate fear, and fear is the greatest enemy of birth, be it hospital, be it birth center, be it natural, be it medicated. Fear is not a good thing. We don't make our best decisions when they come out of a place of fear. So the more you can know, the better decisions you're going to make and the better birth and birth experience you're going to have. Well, Chris, I think that is a lot of information that people are going to be digesting. We're going to go ahead and take a break before we head into the fourth segment here on Dr. Doctor. And we are back with Dr. Doctor and the answer to the trivia question. You know, something that I've heard for years is that the term cesarean section comes from Julius Caesar, and it might come from his name, but does it come from his birth? That's the question. True or false, does the term cesarean section come from the actual birth of Julius Caesar himself? And the answer is a big, fat false. <laughs> it does not. And thankfully, before uh, doing this recording, Chris confirmed uh, not true. Because at the time when Julius Caesar was born, anybody who did give birth that way through an incision in the abdomen, the mother inevitably died or was usually already dead, having died in childbirth. And they were releasing the child. And there is historical evidence that she was alive as his mother later on in his life. So they think that the term came from one of his ancestors who may have been born in a cesarean birth, but not Julius himself. Well, you think you've heard that a lot. I've heard that my entire career. Oh my that's goodness. A, that's a tough one, a tough myth to bust. But it's fascinating the way you got the backstory uh, to indirectly prove that it, it had to be false. But yes. gosh, in the old days, in the pre-antibiotic days, which was really pre-World War One, the mortality rate from cesarean birth was at least 50%, if not worse. Why so uh, high? Infection. You know, surgery, abdominal surgery, pre-antibiotics and pre-sterilization techniques was a very brutal business. And so, you know, the probability of surviving was really very low. Yeah, it's, I think it's easy for us to overlook how important antibiotics are, but that's a perfect example. However many people had a C-section and in the past, they would not have survived. Now, worldwide, if you look at maternal deaths, the number one cause of maternal death is hemorrhage. Uh, and right after hemorrhage is still infection, oddly enough. Uh, but hemorrhage by far is the greatest threat internationally, especially in third world countries, to maternal death. But before that, it was infection. Exactly. 
Wow. Well, and now we get to move on into that portion of our show where we try to sum things up with our top three takeaways. As there are three of us here, we each get one. And me as the one knowing the least about birth, I thought the most enlightening thing was Chris's comment that is if you have a really detailed, you know, 50 page long birth plan, that should be a sign to you that you're not comfortable with the person you've currently chosen to deliver your child and you should look elsewhere. So maybe that, that heavy plan on your desk, that's a sign to give you insight, look elsewhere. My my kind of takeaway was just that Chris said very clearly, when you have a normal pregnancy and you are healthy, all of these options are safe and available. So it really opens the door for everybody. If you're not healthy and it's not a normal pregnancy, you won't have all the options. So it depends a lot on you and on that baby. Well, I'm just moved that you two would come up with something I said as your top three of anything. That's uh, that's pretty remarkable. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm flattered. I think mine that I would add is uh, this quote from a physician named Marsden Wagner. Uh, look her up. Uh, and it's choice without full information is no choice at all. Knowledge is power, as I said. And knowledge is the great the great anecdote to fear. And fear is not your friend. Wow, what a great practical episode that we've had here. I hope that listeners get uh, something that will help them have a good experience themselves or if it's an older listener with one of their uh, children giving birth. What's your hope for this episode, Chris? Well, I I think I would echo just what you said. I mean, is there anything more important in your life than the birth of your child, whether it's the first or or the 10th? It is an opportunity to participate in creation with our God. There is just nothing like it. And so uh, embrace it. It is wonderful. You'll never be the same after it and all stories don't go like the days Um, but that was a great story of how of how beautiful it can be so if you have a great unusual medical story let us know you might be featured on a future episode of dr doctor so this brings us to an end of yet another time. We thank you so much for your generosity and listening to us here on Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Yeah, you can find us uh, on this episode and all our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org, not .com. You won't find us there, drdoctor.org. Uh, and if you want to dive deeper into some of the topics, check out the website for bonus links and information on this episode and past episodes. Just click latest at the top of the main page. And please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. And Dr. Andrew Mullally. And we're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.